Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christ Center. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Tim Williams, if we haven't had a chance to meet. And I'm so grateful to be here. Can you believe that it's snowing outside? Something's wrong with this picture. Uh, I rode the train uh, the other day to get here, and I was grateful that I didn't have to drive over the passes. Uh, but yeah, feels a little bit early, doesn't it? I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for braving that snow and showing up today. Um, before we get into it today, I just want to talk about a little bit of family news. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the year, and as you know, as a church, uh, we depend on your generosity. We are a nonprofit that is committed to reaching people for Jesus, to being a part of God's redemptive project in the world, right here in Kashmir and beyond. And I want to thank you for your generosity, your consistent giving allows us to do things like fall fest like small groups like alpha which is running and i love so much and i just want to say that if god has been particularly good to you this year financially if you would consider supporting us uh, in a year-end gift we are so grateful to have sold the orchard selling the orchard to put toward the loan that we took out to finish this building we sold 206 vine street we've still got a little bit of work to do there so I would just invite you to pray about it and to do what you feel like God is calling you to do in that regard. So a little bit of family business. If you're just visiting today, you can just disregard everything that I said. You being here is gift enough, and we are so grateful that you are here. Today, we are concluding a series that we've been in on relationships. God cares about your relationships. God designed relationships, actually. He uh, created the heavens and the earth. He created all vegetation and life and animals. And then he created man. And everything was good up until that point. And at that point is the first time that he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve and godly community was born. Community matters. And We've talked about relationships with our friends. We've talked about relationships with the outsider. We've talked about relationships with the church. We've talked about relationships with our enemies. Last week with our apprentices. I'm so grateful to the people who invested in my life. Stephanie, thank you for investing in my life. Steve, Joby, Terry Fike. There are so many people I could go down the list who invested in me. I'm so grateful for that. But today, today we are coming to the most important relationship in your life the most important relationship and before we talk about that I want to invite you to pray with me we're just going to pray for a second Heavenly Father thank you that you love us thank you that you love every single person here God I ask you to come now to do the miracle that only you can do, which is to take these scriptures, these words that I speak, and to use them to speak directly to the hearts of people, to advance your good purpose in their lives, wherever they're at today. Father, we also come to you today, and we pray for the elections that are gonna be happening in our country. God, we ask for your mercy, God, we ask for your influence. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would establish people in office that fear you, God. For fearing you is the beginning of wisdom. 
Lord, I pray for every single person whose vote matters, whose choices matter. Holy Spirit, that you would guide them and lead them at the ballot box as we participate in the great gift we have in this country. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If no one's told you today, let me be the first person to tell you this. God loves you. He cannot love you more. He will not love you less. He wants good for your life. He loves you. And today we're talking about our relationship with Jesus. And that could be kind of an interesting thing, kind of a tricky thing. And so where I want to start today is talking about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, I was just in London a couple weeks ago. I got to go to Oxford and tour one of the oldest universities, one of the oldest libraries like on the planet. And there are hundreds, probably thousands of books there filled with writings about Jesus. So I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm probably not going to be able to give you an extensive picture of everything about who Jesus is. That could take your whole lifelong learning and you still wouldn't come to understand it. But I'm going to do my best. When I, when I started thinking about talking about who Jesus is, this funny joke came to mind. Maybe you've heard it. It's been around a little while. Uh, it, it goes like this. There was a man who decided to start teaching Sunday school at his church. He was so excited. It was his first day, so he gets in there. He wants to connect with the kids, and he thinks, I'm going to start off with a game today. I'm going to start off with a little game. Okay, kids, we're going to play a game. I'm going to describe something to you, and then I want you to, when you know, tell me what it is I'm describing to you. Are you ready? So he says, okay, uh, it lives in a tree. No hands. Okay, uh, it eats nuts. Nobody? Um, he's starting to panic a little bit. Uh, it has a bushy tail. Anybody? Silence. Then one kid slowly raises his hand in the back and says, Mr., I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds an awful lot like a squirrel to me. <laughs> right? Sometimes, who is Jesus? We can kind of assume that we know. There's a lot of opinions out there. But at a run, I'm going to talk a little bit about who Jesus is. First of all, Jesus is God's son. Jesus once asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They gave him this variety of answers, and then he said, well, who do you think that I am? Peter said, I believe you are the son of God, the Messiah, sent from God. And he said, God bless you, Peter, for it was not human understanding that revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the son of God. He is fully divine. He was born of the Virgin Mary. It's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is fully human as well. Fully human. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted is what the Bible says. And I love that because you know what that means? That means that no matter what you are going through, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. For he was tempted in every way. So if you've struggled, if you've hurt, if you've suffered, Jesus was fully human. Jesus understands you. Jesus understands you. Jesus was humble. Jesus said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, right? But he did it to accomplish God's loving purpose for our sake, for us. Jesus is humble. Can you think of anybody who's humble today, right? What's less appealing than someone that's arrogant and proud and self-centered? Jesus had the most reason of any person in history to be proud, puffed up, and arrogant, and yet he wasn't. He was humble. He was approachable. Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient. I love this definition of patience. Patience slows to the pace of another person. Think about that. Jesus is patient with you. He's the most patient person to ever live. He traveled at the speed of foot, right? He had an urgent mission, but he was never in a hurry. Jesus is patient. Patience, I like this definition as well. Patience means to gladly dwell in the present moment when I would prefer not to. To gladly dwell in the present moment when I would prefer not to. That's Jesus. He gladly dwells in this moment with you and the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. He's patient. Here's a word that I'm putting in here. I like this. This may challenge some of you. I believe Jesus is curious. I think Jesus is interested in you. I think he's curious. Did you know that Jesus asked over 300 questions to people in the accounts of the Gospels? That when he was a young child, uh, they went to a festival, his parents lost him, and where did they find him? They found him in the temple asking questions. He's curious about you. He's curious about what you're going to choose to do. And we're going to talk about choice today. I believe Jesus is curious. He's interested in you. What's better than talking to somebody that is interested in you, right? That asks you questions about yourself. That's Jesus. Jesus is loving. He said, go and love now as I have loved you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, not to condemn it, not to say it's going to hell in a handbasket, peace out, good luck, but to save it because of his great, all-surpassing love. For we know that Christ loved us because while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? His love for you, Adam. His love for me. His love. Jesus is loving. Jesus paid the penalty of sin. Your sin. Sin simply means moral wrongdoing. Moral wrongdoing. Jesus did nothing morally wrong. We all have. Just, it's in uh, our little words up there. Nobody is perfect. Jesus paid the penalty. Again, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, justifying us to the Father. Jesus, the last one, is in charge. Listen to this. Jesus is now in charge. Oh, I, I missed one. Jesus rose from the dead. Sorry about that. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the next one. That's what we celebrate at Easter. We hear um, that Jesus appeared at one point to over 500 of his followers after he had risen from the dead. By the way, that's why we're all here, is because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the only way to new creation. Jesus is the only way to new creation. Sometimes we get mixed up and, uh, about heaven, 
and hell, which I do believe in, but often we will boil down our faith to what's the magic words I need to say to make sure that God lets me into heaven when it's all over. Let me just say that so I can get that out of the way. But the destiny for us is, like Jesus, resurrection, new creation. Jesus was risen from the dead, and those who die in him will rise in him, is what the Bible says. Jesus is the only way to new creation. So even sometimes there's that question of like, hey, how come my friends are going to hell, right? They're good people. The reason is because there is only one way to new creation, and it's the only person who's ever done it. It's, it's not like a, I'm deciding not to let you in or deciding to let you in. It's a Jesus is literally the only person, the only way to new creation because he's the only one who's ever done it. And that's the destiny, is to rise with Christ. Resurrection, new creation. And then lastly, Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for this world. Jesus was established as the head of, uh, of God. He is God's church. He started the church, right? The Apostle Paul writes about that. And Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for the world. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he said, before he left his disciples. Now go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you to do. Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for Kashmir. Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for your family, your home, your life. Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for the world. For the world. One interesting uh, scripture is found in Revelation 5. And Revelation is a pretty confusing book. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about it, I would recommend picking up Revelation for Everyone by N.T. Wright. It's one of the best commentaries I've ever read. It's very simple and accessible. But in it, we see this picture where um, God produces this scroll and this scroll basically in heaven represents the plan of redemption for the world and John John's looking around and one of the elders says who is worthy to open the scroll who's worthy to start the redemption plan for the world and nobody nobody appeared and John started to weep he was sad and then he said that the elder said don't be sad look here comes one like a lamb who has been slain. He is worthy. And Jesus began God's redemptive plan for the world after his resurrection. And guess what? That's where we find ourselves today. That's where we find ourselves today. Jesus still working out his redemptive plan for this world that God loves so much that he sent him not to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus is in charge of God's redemptive plan for this world. So that's a little bit about Jesus. If you have more questions, more curiosity, more interest in Jesus, here's three really great resources for you I would encourage you to check out. One is Who Is This Man? by an author and friend, John Ortberg. Who Is This Man? Fantastic book. Another one is The Case for Christ by Timothy Keller. I encourage you to check that out. And then third, just a gold standard, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. These are three great books that will tell you a lot, a lot about who Jesus was, why he matters, and how to understand him. Now we come to the part that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. How are we to relate to Jesus? How are we to relate to him? Okay, he's the son of God. 
He is fully man. He's humble. He's patient. He's loving. He paid the penalty. He rose from the dead. He's in charge of God's redemptive project in our world. What am I supposed to do? How do I relate to him? And uh, I've actually got a video. I'm now a part of a small organization with a friend of mine. And uh, that organization is called becomenew.me. And my friend is John, who I just referenced. He wrote that book, Who Is This Man? And a few uh, months ago, he did a teaching that I thought set up this idea really, really well. So I'm going to play it for you, and then we'll continue here. So let's roll that. Forbes magazine in 2018 said that $86.7 billion was spent on leadership development, on leadership training programs. Our most revered institutions are devoted to this. Harvard Law School says that in its mission statement, it is devoted to training leaders in the legal profession, not lawyers, but leaders that are there. Harvard Medical School says that they exist in order to create a nurturing community of leaders in the health profession, not doctors. Harvard Divinity School, I'm not making this up, says that they exist in order to help men and women serve as leaders in a religious context. Harvard School of Education says that they exist to prepare leaders, not teachers, leaders in education. Now, lest Yale be left behind in this, Yale University has a leadership institute, a woman's leadership initiative, a global health leadership initiative, chief executive leadership institute, and an MBA in leadership healthcare. Dartmouth says that the reason that they exist is to create lifelong learners and leaders. University of Virginia, Georgetown, I can't begin, there's hardly an organization, uh, educational, university, college, that doesn't have some kind of a center or institute to develop leadership. Uh, Lead America says that they are the leading organization to help high school and middle school students learn to become leaders. There's a girls leadership initiative. There are periodicals like the Leadership Quarterly, Journal of Leadership and Organizational Studies, Leadership, which is a British periodical. And in the church world, there actually is a periodical called the Leadership Journal, which I happened for a time to be an editor at large of. If you Google leadership skills for children, you will get 165 million entries in 0.55 seconds. And there are books that are being written that have been published with titles like How to Raise a Leader. This is for children. Leadership for Kids. I am a leader. From Sesame Street to Wall Street. Actually, that one I made up. I don't think anybody's written it yet. But if they did, they would probably make a whole lot of money. And you have the same kind of thing in the church world. Uh, 45 million resources come up in less than half a second if you Google church leadership resources. And they tend to look quite a lot like secular leadership resources. Barbara Kellerman has written a book called The End of Leadership. She's at Harvard Business School. And she refers to what she calls the leadership industry. There are uh, more programs, centers, institutes, classes, seminars, blogs, conferences, retreats, webinars, TED Talks, consultants, coaches who can guide you into leadership than ever before. She said in 1980, there were three books published on leadership. By the end of that decade, it was 23 in a year. Now, way too many resources to be able to count. So what all of this means is, at least we got one thing going for us. 
as messed up as our world is, as troubled as it is, as many problems as we have from um, places all around the globe, at least we have great leaders in place. At least, thanks to untold billions of dollars being spent on develop developing them, every government, every office, every political position, every educational university, every church, every family has a great leader in the spot where they're needed. Our leaders have never been so effective, so sharp, so healthy, so happy, so well-educated, so well-prepared, so well-trusted, right? Well, strangely enough, not so much. Turns out that back in the 1950s and 60s, when people were asked, do you, can you trust the federal government to do the right thing? About 70% of us said yes. By 2011, it was 15%. About that same time, 77% of all Americans said that we are in a leadership crisis. And in the corporate front, it's actually worse. Barbara Kellerman says that only 7% of employees said that they could trust their employers, leaders, and managers. And all of this, of course, raises the question, where can you go to find a leader? What does it mean to be a leader? Is everybody a leader? How do we know? There's uh, 1,500 different definitions of leadership in the leadership industry, 40 different theories. When I first went to a leadership seminar, there was a poster that had a bunch, a team of sled dogs on it, and it said, uh, if you ain't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. In other words, the definition of a leader there is someone who can get all the other dogs to look at the rear ends of other dogs so that the leader can enjoy a really nice view. It's a funny thing. If you were to ask the question, uh, forget about definition, that's above my pay grade. I don't know how you define a leader, but if you were to ask, what program, what movement has had the biggest impact on personal development, on human being development, on the change of life, on catalyzing or stimulating human beings to grow, to change, to become better in their relationships, to recover from addictions, to sacrifice, to be generous? Hands down, whatever you think about this movement, it would be one day when a carpenter in Nazareth closed up his shop and became a rabbi and went from one person to another and offered a single opportunity. Follow me. This is how we are to relate to Jesus. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to accept God's invitation in your life. If you want God's good will for your life, here's how we do it. We don't lead ourselves. We follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. It's not very, a, a very popular word when it comes to social media, right? We kind of don't really want to be a follower. You want people to follow you. But the truth is, the only way to the Father, the only way to the good life, is to follow Jesus. Thanks for hanging with me in there for that video. It's a little bit long, but I just thought it was so interesting and so brilliant in a culture that is so obsessed with leadership that actually Jesus never told anybody to lead anything. He said, follow me. Follow 
me. So what does that mean to follow Jesus? Basically what it means is that we are putting Jesus in charge of the person that we are becoming. We are putting Jesus in charge of our own spiritual formation. You are being formed and shaped every day. You have a will. You have a heart, emotions. You have a mind, thoughts that you fill your mind with. You've got a body that you can make decisions with. You did not give yourself your body. That was a gift from God, but it is a gift, and you get to make decisions with that body. And then you've got relationships, right? That's what we're talking about. All of those things put together makes up a human soul, and to follow Jesus means that we put Jesus in charge of all of those things. That's what it means. To put Jesus in charge of the person that we're becoming. And so I'm going to give you three really quick tips on how to do this and where to start. Where do you even start following Jesus? Well, let's take a look at Jesus' life. And I would say, here's the first thing. You start following Jesus by listening to his teaching. Listening to his teaching. John Mark Comer says that attention is the beginning of devotion, right? We give our attention to so many things. There are countless millions of podcasts today probably that all of us spend time listening to, filling our minds with, letting it shape who we are becoming, how we see the world, how we see ourselves in the world, how we are supposed to relate to the world. The first thing to do in following Jesus is to start listening to his teaching. Teaching is the thing that Jesus did more than anything. Nobody has ever improved on Jesus' moral teaching since he came and taught. And there are great tools to do that, but I would just say this. If you're wondering if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are not listening to his teaching, uh, you're not. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's just reality, right? Because to follow somebody means that I want to know what they think. I want to know what they say. I want to think like them. I want to understand. So the first thing you can do if you want to follow Jesus is to start listening to his teaching. Go to the Gospels. Read what he said. The second thing that you can do is to start putting into practice what he commands to do. Putting it into practice. Putting it into practice. Actually doing. Not being mere hearers of the world, word, but doers of the word. And this is really interesting because often we actually want to start someplace else, right? Okay, so I listen to his teaching. I mean, I kind of do that, I guess, sometimes, or I've heard it before. Um, do what he says. Ah, I think I do. I don't know. Do I do what he says? What does he say? Putting it into practice. Often where we want to start with following Jesus is what's, what's, the, what's the words I got to say? What's the prayer I got to pray? Right? To make sure that I fulfill the bare minimum requirements to entry for heaven. <laughs> Let me just say that and then I'm good, right? Jesus never talked about it in that terms, by the way. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, here are the bare minimum entry requirements to heaven. If you do that, you're good. Check it off. He said, follow me. Listen to my words. Anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The storms came, and they will come. The storms came, the rain blew, the rain fell, the wind blew, but that house stood because it was established on the rock. Listen to his teaching and then do what it says. 
And then third, ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how you can actually have the power beyond your own power to do what he said. The Holy Spirit is actually how we hear God, how we begin to understand him. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to anybody who asks? He said to his disciples, it's good that I go away after his resurrection so that the Holy Spirit can come. The comforter, the coach, the helper, the one who convicts you of moral wrongdoing so that you know what is right and what is wrong. If you want to follow Jesus, listen to his teaching, start practicing what he said to do, and ask for the Holy Spirit. What will happen to you if you do that? The first thing that will happen is actually the place where we want to start. You will come to believe. Then you will come to believe. Think about Peter. If you're familiar with the story of Peter, he started listening to Jesus, wrestled with it, didn't get it. He started doing the things that Jesus said, but still, even at the night before Jesus' death, he denied Jesus. He didn't quite get it, didn't quite believe, right? Belief can come later. That's actually why I love Alpha so much, because Alpha, if you've been through it, is it's a series of meetings where you come together and you do what Jesus said, you gather together, you eat together, you listen to his teaching, you have conversation, you ask questions, there's curiosity there. You have an opportunity to encounter the presence of God before you even understand what you believe. I don't know if I believe this, but I'm open, I'm willing, and if you ask the Holy Spirit to come in, you don't have to have your orthodoxy, that's a fancy word for right thinking, which our, the church, the Western church, got so consumed with in recent history that we kind of lost all focus on what's called orthopraxy, which is actually doing what Jesus said to do. That's why I love Alpha, because it gives people who aren't sure if I'm in the orthodoxy, if I'm in the bounded set of beliefs, an opportunity to encounter Jesus and to come to believe. Did you know that Alpha, this, I was just at an Alpha conference in London, I was at another Alpha conference in Minneapolis, and did you know this stat is so fascinating? 90% of people who claim to be atheists that go through Alpha come to faith in Jesus. If they go through the whole 12 weeks, 90%. It's, the, it's considered the most effective evangelistic tool in the world today. That's insane. And why is it? Because they're listening to what Jesus said. They have an opportunity to put it into practice, which some of the things Jesus said to do is not very hard, right? Love each other as I have loved you. Gather together. And you have a chance to encounter God's presence before you've got it all figured out. And guess what? I'm going to just tell you right now. Nobody's got it all figured out, <laughs> right? I believe things today that I'm pretty sure about that are probably wrong. My orthodoxy, I've spent a lot of time trying to get it right. That's really important, especially, I mean, James talks about that. Not everyone should want to be a, a teacher, right? Because you're going to be more accountable. But the truth is, nobody's got it fully figured out. You don't have to have it fully figured out before you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. My life is a mess. My heart, my emotions are ruling me. 
I don't have any control over my body, my habits, what I do. My relationships are a disaster. My will is all over the place like Jack Sparrow's compass, you know? I don't know where am I going. I need a leader. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. You will come to believe. You will begin. This is the great thing. You will come to believe, and then you will begin to recognize his voice. Then you will begin to recognize the voice of God. God speaks to us, I believe, through three primary ways. One is through the Bible. It's God's inspired word through the Bible, through others, through other people. Psalm 1 says, you know, blessed is the one, uh, uh, blessed is the one who basically takes counsel from people who are godly people. We hear from God through others, through scripture, and then lastly, through our conscience, through our conscience. Once we've asked for the Holy Spirit, then that convictor of sin is in there, and he begins to speak, and you begin to recognize his voice. You begin to recognize his voice. It doesn't always start there. You don't have to start there. Jesus says, follow me, listen to my teaching, do what I have commanded you to do, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. The next thing is you'll begin to see as he sees. This is a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He says that Jesus is like the sun. Not only is it the light that I see, but it is the light by which I see everything else. Because Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. You will begin to see as Jesus sees. You will begin to love as Jesus loves. He will begin to change your heart. It's kind of like the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? His heart was two sizes too small. We're getting close to Christmas. I can't believe I'm saying that. He will actually grow your heart of love for people. He will inspire you toward partnering with him from love in his redemptive plan for your world, for your family, for your workplace, for your school, for your neighborhood. You will begin then to love as he loved. Peter, a great example of this, right? When they came to take Jesus, what did he do? He took out his sword and he chopped off one of the soldier's ears. And Jesus is like, <laughs> your, your heart is, is two sizes too small, Peter, right? Let me put that ear back on for you. And you're going to get it because I'm patient. You'll get it. You'll get it eventually. Someday we'll be sitting on the beach together, eating fish and talking about this. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer as he suffered. In this world, Jesus said, you will have hardship. <laughs> but take courage, because I've overcome the world. He says, blessed is the one, blessed are you when you are insulted, persecuted, falsely said, all kinds of evil against because of me. Great is your reward in heaven. For just like the prophets that went before you, this will now happen to you. But when that happens, you will be a light in this world. That's when we shine brightest, right? Is when we're suffering the most. You will suffer as Jesus suffered. And even his disciples, we know for sure that Peter and Paul both died horrendous deaths as martyrs. I think it's something, uh, I've lost the stat, but in the first 400 years after Jesus, millions of Christians were martyred. For their faith millions you will suffer if you follow jesus but lastly you will live again you will rise again and this is our great hope you will not just follow jesus in all of these things and in death but you will then follow him in life that's the invitation 
you will follow him in resurrection. That's what we believe. And that's why we're a church, by the way. We're a church to partner with God's redemptive plan for Kashmir, Washington, and to see his kingdom come, his will be done. And that's not based on a really great dynamic speaker who's a better speaker than anybody else. That's not based on a really great program. It's a better program than anybody else. All of those things are helpful and good, but that's based on a heart and a mission that's written on the back of our walls when you come in. We want to reach people for Jesus and grow disciples, teaching people to do all that he commanded, being baptized. And so here is the invitation today for you and for me do you want to follow Jesus? I was thinking about this story when I was preparing today. This is a true story from a young man named Matt. He's eight years old, lived in Indiana. And one night his father was praying for him as he tucked him into bed. And uh, he said, Dad, I want to be a Christian. <laughs> Dad was so excited. He said, let's pray. Let's pray right now, Matt. And he prayed, Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. I want to live for you amazing moment went down told his wife we prayed for matt he became a christian so good a few weeks later matt went on a church camp and he got an email uh, the dad got an email a couple days into that camp that said hey great news matt gave his heart to jesus for the first time right and the dad was like oh oh okay yeah well i mean i think he'd already given his heart to jesus but that's really that's cool then uh, a few weeks later, Matt and his dad were attending some breakfast. He took his son along. There was a speaker who was a Christian. And at the end of his talk, that speaker gave an altar call and said, do you want to put your faith in Jesus? You know, come on down to the front. Every head was bowed. And the father heard Matt's chair slide back. And little Matt got up and walked to the front. And afterwards, afterwards, the dad said, hey, Matt, I've noticed that in the last couple months, you've You've given your heart to Jesus three times. Why is that? And Matt said, well, Dad, I still sin. I still need Jesus. And I just love that picture because the invitation is not a one and done thing. It's a decision to follow him every day. That's the invitation to follow Jesus. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? It's really sad. I think the church has earned a pretty bad reputation in our world. But what it means to follow Jesus is to listen to his teaching, to put him in charge of who you're becoming, to do what he actually says to do. Love your enemy. Put away anger. Don't resist an evil person, right? Don't look at a woman lustfully. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If there's something in your life that is keeping you from fully doing what Jesus said to do, throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your beautiful life than for all of your life to be thrown on the trash heap. Gehenna, that's what Jesus said, which was the garbage pile outside of the city. It's better for you to throw one part of yourself on the trash heap than everything to go to hell. One more story. I was the uh, online church pastor at a church in Minnesota, the biggest church in Minnesota, um, and it was, it was very large. People, the, the staff would send me, I was on a small team of people, there were so many requests and questions that would come in about orthodoxy, right? What do you believe? What do you think about this? And there was a team of us that would answer those questions. So they would send us folks like, hey, Tim, here's three people this week that had really hard theological questions. Can you call them? And I actually loved it. I love talking with people about that stuff. 
And there was one call that was about prayer. Someone said, someone's got a question about prayer. I'm like, ah, easy one. I'll take that one. Called this fellow. He lived in New York. He was an online attender. And right out of the gate, he's like, hey, I want to know what you believe about this really controversial topic. What does Eagle Brook think about that? What do you think about that? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, hi, my name is Tim. Nice to meet you. I believe that there's a whole lot to a person, and I would prefer to start somewhere else with you. Can we do that? Can we start somewhere? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. And we began this conversation, and we sort of tabled this topic that he really wanted to know, do we agree? Do we think the same? Do we have the same orthodoxy? Can I belong in this bounded set of beliefs? And we talked through it. I invited him to come to Alpha. I was leading in Alpha online. He actually ended up coming. He actually ended up coming through the whole thing. He ended up calling me several times throughout the thing, wanting prayer, going through difficult struggles. But at the very end, at the very end of our conversation, I came back to that topic that he had brought up. And I said, look, I can tell you what the church believes about this. I can tell you what I believe about this. But here's what I want to tell you right now. If you want to follow Jesus, it is going to cost you everything, eventually. If you want to follow Jesus, eventually it will cost you everything. And only you get to decide. I'm so curious what you're going to choose. Because God's given you a choice. And that's what I want to tell you today, and tell me today. We can start from anywhere, because Jesus is a centered set of beliefs. That's why I love our, our name as a church, Christ Center. We're not defined by the boundaries that we establish. We're defined by who's in the middle. Who are we moving toward? Who are we following? Who are we oriented to? Where is our compass pointing? And I don't care how far away from that center you are, if you're pointed toward him and moving, then you're on the right track. Then Jesus says, come in and dine with me. That's why they called him friend of sinners. And so my question to you and to all of us today is do you want to follow Jesus? You don't have to believe everything, right? You don't have to have it all figured out. But here's three practical ways that you can do that. Listen to his teaching. Start doing what he said to do. And ask for the Holy Spirit. Because you don't have to do it by yourself. I'm going to invite the team to come up now. And I want to invite everybody to stand up, actually, if you would with me. And I just want to take a moment of prayer and reflection to listen to God today. Like I said at the beginning, God loves you. He cannot love you more he will not love you less. And he stands ready to do more than you could possibly imagine in your life, in your will, in your emotional life, in your thoughts, in your body, in your relationships, in your soul. And he stands ready today. I would ask you to just close your eyes with me if you would. And if you want to, I'm going to open my hands as just an outward expression of openness. And right now, Lord, I ask you to come, Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come and speak to people. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and encourage people. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and convict people of sin, moral wrongdoing that's messing up their lives and the lives of those around them. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and comfort people. Thank you that you understand. Thank you that nothing is hidden from you. You perceive our thoughts from afar. You know our hearts completely. Before a word is on our lips, you know it entirely. You see all, you know all, and that does not stop your love. For nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. I believe there may be folks either watching online today or in this room that want to say, man, I want to follow Jesus. I don't, I don't know that I believe everything you believe, Tim. I don't know if I agree with everything that Christ Center agrees with, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him the center of my life. I think there may be people here online or in this room that are like Matt and say, man, I need to say it again, Lord. I need to say it again. I need to say it again. I will follow you. Can't get enough. Jesus, I've kind of put other things at the center of my heart, of my life. I've kind of lost sight of you, but I'm here again. I want you to be the center again. And then there may be people here today online or in this room that want to say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I want to know what that's about. I want to know what it's like to come to believe. I want to know what it's like to hear your voice. I want to know what it's like to see as you see. I want to know what it's like to love like you love. Come, Holy Spirit. And I just want to ask you to consider something. Um, one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to pray for each other, to lay hands on one another and to pray for each other. There's something powerful about that. And so we're going to sing one more song. As we do, if you're in any three of those categories today, if the Holy Spirit, if God is speaking to you, if you want to make that decision, we've got folks here that would love to pray for you, to pray for you in that. And as we sing the song, I want to invite you to be bold, to be courageous, to come on down and to just tell someone what's going on and receive prayer as we sing. And then we'll close here in just a minute.